Lower interest rates mean less yield for a portfolio. How can investors generate income then? Here's what matters. Live from our respective coronavirus social distancing outposts, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Robert Zarenbetz. And this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we, the strategists at New York Life Investments, will share insights from the multi-asset solutions team. What we think matters as we manage investment solutions. That includes Mainstay's diversified portfolio series, including the Income Builder Fund, as well as bespoke solutions for our partners. By sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of February 8th, 2021, and today we're going to talk about income. Yes, for millennials like us, this can be really difficult to believe, but I've been told by some boomers that you used to be able to achieve 10% on a laddered bond portfolio and that mortgages used to be 20% interest rates back in the day. For a fixed income investor, the portion of your portfolio by just investing in investment grade bonds has taken a big hit. Yeah, these days, 4 or 5% on a fixed income portfolio just really isn't the case. At the end of 2020, a staggering 18.4 trillion dollars worth of global investment grade bonds were trading with negative yields. So the opposite of a 4 to 5% yield or income. And 21.6% of bonds within the Bloomberg Barclays Global Aggregate Bond Index, which is just a, a, a globally used uh, benchmark, were also trading with negative yields to maturity. Yeah. And that's led a lot of investors to question a really popular investment strategy, which is the balanced portfolio or a 60-40 allocation, 60% equities, 40% to investment grade bonds. And they're wondering, does this strategy really still make sense to achieve my investment goals? By means of shameless plug, Robert always mentions at the end of our episodes that you can check out our insights online via LinkedIn or NewYorkLifeInvestments.com. We just wrote a thought piece on this topic, and we'd love for you to check that out if you're interested. But getting back to the 60-40 portfolio, yes, yields are low, and they're low everywhere across geographies and asset classes. Simply not possible to generate the kind of income today that you could throughout most of history. But that doesn't mean we should dump the idea of diversification, which is really what underpins that 60 40 portfolio. Exactly. And despite its challenges of low yields, the logic underpinning a 60 40 portfolio is that it provides important benefits for investors. One benefit is the behavioral benefit. So by having a strong and consistent income stream that can help preserve an investor's purchasing power while potentially reducing any undue risk provides a potential path for financial stability. Another benefit is in the portfolio construction standpoint. High-grade bonds remain a critical offset to equities in times of turmoil, providing an important diversification benefit despite the lower yield on the security. That brings us rather quickly this time to our portfolio pause, a section of the podcast where we discuss an investment idea. 
And I think this investment theme is one of the most important ideas facing investors today. It's a challenge for you and I as we plan for retirement. It's a challenge for those nearing retirement as they face potentially higher drawdown rates from their portfolios. It's a challenge for institutional investors who have to seek yield in other asset classes. And this is just how do you find income in a portfolio and stay diversified? And that brings us to the actual portfolio idea. How does an investor generate income in a portfolio when it's so hard to find income? And the most simplistic way to think about increasing yield is by taking on more risk, increasing risk in your fixed income allocation. And you can do that by moving lower in credit quality, so investing in riskier companies, or by increasing duration, buying bonds that are further out the maturity curve. They they mature at a later date. But higher risk isn't going to be suitable for all investors. While credit spreads can narrow further from here as the economy continues to improve, I think they're arguably already pretty tight. And that's reducing upside potential for investors. What's more, higher risk is still present, despite being poorly rewarded in some cases. And what I mean by that is that there's an elevated rate of defaults right now, and we're unsure what that will look like moving forward. So companies are filing for bankruptcy and failing to make their interest payments, and that's a big risk to investors. In any case, whatever risk we're talking about here, I think the big important consideration for investors is that they work with a strong investment team who can actively manage a bond portfolio and engage in very careful credit selection. Okay, so so that's one thing. You can increase risk in order to try and increase your reward, but some investors can't do that. It's you know, it's not appropriate for everybody to take on additional risk. And so for those who are in that bucket, we do feel strongly that it's time to consider multi-asset income. So maintain portfolio diversification, but look for ways to build income across different asset classes rather than just increasing risk. So here we have three ideas, building income in equity, a rotation into 2021 themes where we think income might be forthcoming, and considering a global allocation. Mm, Always with three things, LG. All right. I'll start with building income equity. When people hear income, they usually do think of fixed income, rightfully so. But equities also provide some income. At the end of 2020, the 12-month dividend yield for the S&P 500 was 1.7%. And that's substantially higher than the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield of 0.9%. So investors looking to build income in a low-yield world must or may consider adding yield-focused equity into their investment mix. There are reasons why this idea about building income inequity is also particularly exciting for 2021. So first, these equities tend to do better in early stages of an economic recovery. Compared to their peers, dividend payers or income generating equity outperformed the broader market by 4% in the last four recoveries from recession. The second reason why 2021 might be exciting for dividend payers is a shift in sentiment towards these equities. Dividend payers outperformed the S&P 500 in November 2020 by the highest extent since April 2009. So sentiment may be improving as the market realizes that the worst of dividend cuts is behind us. So both of these timing and sentiment components of dividend strategies are further supported by likely continued rotation in leadership. So 
the diverse sector composition of dividend payer positions us to potentially benefit in these equities in 2021. Very well said and great teamwork on that topic. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, So that was a long one. But our second idea, the rotation on 2021 themes is an important one. And it touches on a topic that we have mentioned very frequently on this podcast. So we'll keep it light. With vaccine distribution and government support in play, a strong economic recovery is becoming much more likely for 2021. And we think that two are relevant for income generation infrastructure investments, and value sector investments. The Biden administration pointed to infrastructure spend as an important policy priority for this year and really the next couple of years. So while ambitions for large packages may be held up in a government where we have razor-thin margins for Democrats, some spend on surface infrastructure and upgrades to 5G could be passed in the coming years. And if that's the case, that could benefit both municipal bonds, where much of the infrastructure sort of nitty-gritty gets done, as well as infrastructure investments themselves that support those services. Very well said. Um, I'll take the rotation into value sectors then. Uh, which is also becoming much more likely. In recent years, the information technology and consumer discretionary sectors have outperformed. Low yields have pushed investors to find rapid earnings growth as these equities provided. But a period of broad economic growth lifting profits across a range of sectors is likely to reverse this trend, benefiting investors who capture the record divergence in performance through diversification. What you're describing is a shift to value, and that shift to value equities is relevant because dividend-paying stocks or yield-focused equity tend to be concentrated specifically in value sectors. And so we'd expect any cyclical rotation or improvement in the economy this year to strengthen both the price and the dividend performance of these equities, which could be a double benefit for investors. Uh, Very good teamwork once again. Um, (laughs) Our final idea here is global allocation. This also has roots in the economic recovery. We're expected to see in 2021. LG, do you want to take this one from an investment standpoint? Sure. So value sectors are not the only dividend payers likely to outperform as the economy improves. Actually, international developed equity, so think Europe or Japan, tends to pay higher dividends as well and and tend to be more concentrated in cyclical value-oriented sectors, which we just discussed is somewhat of a double benefit for dividend-paying stocks. And so in these value sectors, a global improvement in economic growth should improve conditions for outperformance in these regions and in those sectors in particular. So if we look ahead to 2021, some of the things that we expect, global economic growth, friendlier trade policy, potentially a weaker dollar. These are creating benefits for foreign operators when earnings and share prices are translated back into U.S. dollars. And so by all these different metrics, we expect dividend payers in an international allocation to outperform this year. One last thing before we close here. I know we've covered a lot and we've given a lot of ideas about the economic improvement we expect in 2021. So with all of that improvement, investors may be tempted to move into riskier, more cyclical parts of the market, as we've discussed. In general, we agree with that idea. That said, moving too far down in quality or too high in risk may not be appropriate for many investors. Just a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the risk of market volatility related to an inflation scare. Who knows what the risk will be in 2021? We don't have a crystal ball. But investors should be mindful that volatility is always a part of investing. 
That's a great point about risk. And I'll only add one thing, which is that implementing a multi-asset approach to generating income and, and taking the steps we've described, so yield focus equity, 2021 themes around infrastructure and value, and then an international or global allocation, those may over or under expose a portfolio as a whole to certain geographies and currencies and sectors relative to your peers or your benchmarks. Investors can and should consider approaches that include a top-down allocation to help manage that risk and make sure that by taking this diversified approach, you really are still diversified at the end of the day. Hey, that's what we do on the Mass Team. Coming up next, on Wednesday, we'll receive the inflation data, the latest data for January, which I'm very interested to see because while I wouldn't expect inflationary pressures to be present yet at this point in the year, we are, as we discussed last week, expecting those to start to creep in later in the year. And that debate is going to rage over the course of 2021. Should be very interesting. It should be. It should be. This week, I'm continuing to watch earnings, corporate profitability, uh, as the earnings reporting season continues with another bulk of companies that are scheduled to share their quarterly results. Expectations for the whole year are that corporate profits are going to grow by more than 20%. And that would be a huge improvement in earnings. But we're yet to see that yet. That's really where expectations are. So each of these seasons, we're going to have to watch how the S&P 500 companies do. And so far, they've done quite well. At the start of this reporting season, analysts expected earnings to contract by more than 7%, so a reduction in corporate profits versus the same time last year. So far, however, the S&P is reporting year-over-year growth in earnings of 1.9%, which is a great start and a welcome development for investors. That's it for today. We'll be back next week with more Market Matters. Let us know what matters to you. If you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on social media. That's right. You can send us your questions or highlight what matters to you by finding us on LinkedIn and sending us a message. You can also follow our views on our new website at newyorklifeinvestments.com and click insights. Until then, I'm Robert Serenbetz. And I'm Lauren Goodwin. See you next time. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamonts, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I'll now read our disclosures from compliance. For more information about Mainstay Funds, call 1-800-624-6782 for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Investors are asked to consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the investment carefully before investing. The prospectus or summary prospectus contains this and other information about the investment company. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. There's no assurance that the investment objectives will be met. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as of a specific date. It is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. 
New York Life Investments is a service mark and name under which New York Life Investment Management LLC does business. New York Life Investments is an indirect subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company, New York, New York 10010, and provides investment advisory services and products. New York Life Distributors LLC is located at 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey 07302. New York Life Distributors LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.